Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson with Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to episode number 117 in our series. Tonight's topic will be using your book as an investment tool, and our special guest is financial advisor and author James P. Studinger. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments about tonight's show. Please send them to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we're on the line with James P. Studinger, who is the author of Wealth is a Choice, and he's also the owner of J.P. Studinger Group, a wealth management company. Studinger wrote this book to create a roadmap for his children to follow should anything happen to him. This passion blossomed into a book to educate readers and help them embrace, not fear, financial decisions. Studinger's expertise was called upon by the state of Michigan, where he was instrumental in the passing of a new 529 college savings plan. For his part, he was happy to participate in a plan that helps Michigan families educate their children. In 2009, he became the vice chair for the Michigan Jumpstart Coalition, a nonprofit dedicated to raising the financial literacy bar for kids. And he's a frequent guest on the Fox News for their Money Matters segment. When not writing and advising, James enjoys the great outdoors, hiking, camping, and fishing, including uh, triathlons and hockey. He resides in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, with his wife and family, and you can learn more about him at www.jpstudinger.com. Well, good evening, James. Good evening. Well, I'm really glad to be uh, talking to you today because I know that many authors that we deal with have always this question, how can I make money with my book? And sometimes it's really difficult to sort of grasp all that because when all of a sudden the royalty check comes in and all you've made is a dollar per book and you know, you've only sold 50 books, so there it is, it's only $50. Or if you happen to self-publish, you know, you may make maybe $5 a book and you end up selling 50 books and it's only $250, but your expenses are 10 times that. So, mm-hmm. like, help us understand as authors, what do we do? How do we become well, <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I, I think um, uh, a lot of us write a, write books for for a variety of reasons, <clears throat> but the um, at the at the end of the day, I think to in order for us to continue to pursue our craft of writing, um, we have to find some way of also making it financially sustainable. Uh, so um, whether it's uh, you know everybody turns into that. Um, uh, well-known author from around the, the 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 country or their state, or whether or not they use the book to help leverage their their efforts into other business that they may have dealings with, one way or the other. Um, if we're going to keep writing books as authors, and I think we have to find a way of turning it into some sort of income or helping us create wealth for a future. I agree, and I think that that's probably a goal of many authors that they do want to make money or at least pay for what. Um, you know, what they've spent already. You mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, leveraging, and so let's just talk a little bit about that, and what do you mean by leveraging? Well, at the, uh, for for starters, I think it's important to recognize what it takes to, to, 
to become a wealthier person and what it takes to make an income, uh, create an income out of a business. When I when I wrote my book, I tried to I tried to uh, help people identify in its simplest form what how becoming wealthy is possible. I work with a lot of people. I've been in the industry for a while, and and the the vast array of things that you can invest your money into is so huge and overwhelming that a lot of times people wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I think there's probably a great deal of us that grew up in households that. If we had dreamed about being a millionaire or talked about it when we were a kid, a lot of times we were told, you know, it's a nice dream, but that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, you know, just make sure you work hard and, and pay your bills, and and you'll be okay. You know, we're we're shifting out of a out of a society of of thinking that um, it's not for everybody to have a lot of money. Um, we're still used to. I live in Michigan, where we're heavily into the automotive industry. And most retirees up until very recently still anticipate retiring fully on a pension in Social Security. And some people might have some extra money in the savings account, maybe for a rainy day or, or maybe for some op- opportunities down the road. But very few people up until just a handful of years ago really embraced the idea that they had to have a lot of money. So I wanted to break it down into its simplest form. How, how do you become a wealthy person? All of our income goes into one of two buckets. I call it good assets and bad assets. And it doesn't mean that every everything in the good assets is going to work out great for you uh, in that category. But there's clearly a distinction between you can put your money into something that you intend on converting into income in the future, or you put your money everywhere else. And everywhere else would be something that depreciates in value or costs money to maintain. Every dollar that we spend, every dollar you might have spent today, goes into one of those two buckets. And when you really embrace that idea and how simple that is, that all of my efforts, my money, and my time is either going toward a good asset, something that has the ability to create income for me in the future, or it's going toward a bad asset, something that is going to depreciate or cost me money to maintain, then I think it makes things much clearer for people as they pursue trying to um, become wealthier individuals, and that includes leveraging their book, for some future opportunities. A book is a phenomenal good asset. Whether or not you use it very heavily, $50 is $50, like you say, you know. But a book can be a phenomenal um, good asset for people to leverage and use for their future. When they embrace uh, that idea that a book as an asset is much more than just the sale of that book, but how many other ways can that book help me to create income then I think they can find some other avenues for themselves as well. The second thing that you have to marry that concept with, good assets and bad assets, is understanding the power of efficiency. If you don't mind, I'll tell you a quick story about uh, my triathlon racing last year, because last year was the first time I ever did a triathlon. I didn't know how to swim um, just last summer. Somebody had suggested that we do a triathlon. I thought that might be a good way for me to establish a deadline of learning how to swim. So I, I went off in the lake with um, with uh, some of my friends, and uh, everybody thought they were worried I was going to drown. I was such a horrible swimmer. Um, my friends rallied around me. They each of them took me out at different times, showed me some some of the basics, and once somebody let me borrow a wetsuit. And when I did my first try, I was thrilled with the idea that I was actually going to be able to finish the swim. Not very fast at all. I think I was toward the 
uh, three quarters uh, toward the end of the of the uh, speed in terms of all the other contestants. But I was thrilled by it. After the race, though, uh, another friend looked at my times online and he said, "Hey, your swimming speed is pretty bad." And I said, "Well, I, I know that. You know, I was just happy I could swim." He said, "Well, it's all about efficiency." He, he said that. We move through the water, at least the speed that we move through the water is determined by by two things, the power that you put forth or how efficient you are. And it's the efficiency, how efficient we are, that matters most. A dolphin, for example, is 80% efficient, meaning that only 20% of their energy is getting put to waste. The recreational human is about 3% efficient. So 97% at least of the effort that I was putting forward was going to waste. And when I grasped that simple concept around swimming, that I don't have to push harder in the water, I have to be more streamlined, um, within a couple of weeks I was swimming, you know, two, two and a half, three miles with ease through the open water. And so I think those two concepts, um, whether or not it's business, whether or not it's their personal finances, whether or not it's leveraging our, our book as an author, those two simple concepts, if you can um, embrace them, good assets and bad assets, in that the most important um, thing between uh, propelling yourself forward towards wealth or, or as an author is efficiency, um, then I think you can start to, to help make some stronger inroads with your effort of being a successful author in the terms of, of making more of an income from it. Great, James. Let's, let's uh, segue that into efficiency and marketing. How can I achieve efficiency in marketing? And I want to be cognizant that there's both a time and a money aspect to it. Okay. On the, on the money side, I, I, I will say that um, we probably can get away with spending a whole heck of a lot less money when it comes to marketing than we initially might think that we have to on uh, the money in the efficiency side. I talked to, well, one of the things that we all realize as soon as we write a book is that the writing of the book was relatively simple compared to what it takes to prom to promote the book afterwards. And I think all of us as authors have to um, realize the full scale of being an author and what it means once the book is out and what how we want to use that in our, in our life. Well, so I'll tell you a little bit about my own experience. I'm a financial consultant. I own a financial planning firm in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. I have two young sons. Um, and I have clients that have been with me for a very long time. And my book came out right in the crux of some of the worst financial crisis that we've seen in our lifetime, certainly since the Great Depression. And so my core job is to take care of my clients, um, manage my firm, uh, take care of my family, and not to be a world-renowned author and spend my time traveling around the country and um, doing uh, shows and, and signings and, and seminars and speeches all over the place. So I had to recognize what my role as an author was going to be, at least for now. And one of the ways that I did that is I, is I made a lot of calls to people and I reached out to other authors, especially people that are in my industry. I talked to a, a great number of people. And one thing I found is the author industry has been extremely helpful. But I spoke to Glenda Bridgeforth, Gene Chatsky, David Chilton, Robert Kiyosaki, Jack Canfield, Michael Agault, Jonathan Murray, Dan Pointer, and, and many other pe people, some authors that have a, don't have much name recognition and some that do. And I, and I learned from all of their stories. 
in what they did, um, which of the authors were predominantly trying to sell their book, and which authors were using their book to help leverage their business and get into some other opportunities that they were trying to pursue. So the, my first point was really identifying what my role would be now as an author. What, what did I want to try to get out of it? One of the things that the uh, author of uh, Men, Are, Men Are From uh, Mars and Women Are From Venus told me was that, and this goes to the money and the efficiency side, he, had, he was not self-published. He had a publisher in the beginning, and they put him on a nationwide campaign. He went all over the place and promoting his book. And they had some limited success with it. And um, once that initial campaign went through and all the money was spent by the publisher on it, um, that was pretty much it. The marketing dried up. And he realized that if he is going to make it, he is going to have to buckle down and do it on his own without spending all the money because he didn't, uh, he didn't have it at that time to really, to really spend but he went through and he made the calls and he made more headway after the money was not being spent. He made more headway and got some great recognition. And on the first promotion round, he had he had a showing at Oprah, which really didn't go anywhere. On his own promotion round, when he was really digging his heels in and giving it everything that he had, he got back on the Oprah show and had some phenomenal success with it. So I think it's, first of all, really identifying what, as an author, what are you trying to get out of the book? Um, are you trying to be like Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul, that you want to sell a million copies? I think in his, I don't remember if his goal is a million or a million and a half in his first year. Or are you somebody that is using the book to help leverage your knowledge and expertise in another craft or business that you have um, that is your primary core, and then, therefore using the book to help leverage that? So it's first identifying, you know, what, what, the, what the role is as an author that you're going to play and then gearing all your efforts toward accomplishing that. Those are some really good points, James. And you said one thing that comes to mind for me is that it seems to be simpler to be able to promote and leverage a, a um, nonfiction book. However, what about fiction books? How can authors actually leverage a fiction book? Um, in terms of how do they how do they leverage it to sell more, or how are they leverage right. it inside other businesses? Inside other businesses, uh, sell more. Of course, that's the ultimate goal. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, how how to leverage it within other businesses? Well, you know, I don't know if I'll have a, a direct answer uh, specifically on that. I, I put a lot of thought into nonfiction, as that's what I've written. But I it, I guess in, I have seen. You know, uh, plenty of of authors that um, well, uh, this is fiction is nonfiction as well. But let's just take a look at Dan Pointer. I think most people know who Dan Pointer is. Um, he wrote a book about parachuting, but that's not what we that's not why we all know Dan Pointer. We know him because he is the self publishing guru that many of us have touched uh, crossed his path. Um, paid him something or, you know, uh, have had some experiences with him uh, because of what he does outside of parachuting. I have seen, you know, other other authors that have written books that uh, may be a particular interest or, or story or fantasy of theirs, but they have other businesses 
and uh, or they find themselves pursuing other businesses because of the experience that they they have obtained by being an author and, and writing a book. You know, I, I think that if you're if you have a, a picture for the types of things that you would like to have an opportunity of doing three, four, five years down the road, then I think your eyes will be open to many different possibilities along the way that might help you get there besides just the sale of, of the book that you wrote. Mm-hmm. But I, I do I believe all of us have to start by, you know, recognizing where we're trying to go in our professional careers and then seeing connecting the dots to how that book might help us get there. Well, it certainly does make sense. And one of the things that I um, often say to authors is that also when you publish a book, it automatically becomes a business because then it is a, it's a commodity. And so mm-hmm. it has to be treated like a business. If mm-hmm. this is, you know, if you want to sell it, and so therefore there's everything that goes along with the business has to be done to that book. Do you mm-hmm. have any agreement or comments on that? Um, absolutely. I think if you if you look at it as you say that it is a business and I should treat it as such, whether or not I made fifty dollars last month or whether or not I made fifty thousand dollars, if you treat it as such, then you will get a lot more growth out of it. Um, and I think that's true in, in any business, book writing or, or being an artist or any, any endeavor that you have. One of the great things that we all have available to us today, um, and I think this, this is, a, is a indicative of the, the realization, like I was mentioning earlier, that we're not in a world of pensions and Social Security anymore. Um, people are starting to embrace that and, and, and endeavor into the the world of self-employment and residual income sources and ancillary jobs that they can do on the side. We have companies like Amazon and Apple and, um, uh, you know, um, eBay and Constant Contact newsletter type services and a, and a whole slew of businesses that their primary infrastructure is there to help people pursue their dream. Um, it's amazing the technology and the infrastructure, the social media and the social marketing aspects of today. It's amazing all the things out there. If you sit down and figure out how to connect a few dots, it's, it's absolutely incredible the, the vast world that's out there for us to, to uh, take advantage of these days. I mean, things that didn't, just didn't even exist 10 or 15 years ago. Those opportunities are there for all, for all, no matter what our starting point is today to, to get working. Absolutely, James. And that uh, kind of leads me back to a, another follow-up about efficiency. Given that, you know, there's a thousand different social networking and media sites, I'm curious as to how you as an author organize what time you have to do your promotion and, and how you allot you know, different amounts of time to different promotional tasks? Well, for, for me, I, again, I had to recognize what, what the book was for me. Um, my, my daydream, if you will, would be that I am, that, you know, I, I'd love to, to get on an airplane and see three people reading Wealth as a Choice uh, when I walk on. You know, I, I'd love to travel somewhere 
and and hear about my book that what it did for somebody. Um, you know, I, I'd love it if it was in the hands of everybody around the country. I think if it was a couple of years ago, maybe we wouldn't have half this problem in this financial crisis that we have today. But I had to recognize what I was going to do in in terms of um, the progression that I would take as an author, how much time I'd allocate towards promoting the book, and how much time I'd I'd allocate as helping the book get me into places that I might not be able to get into otherwise, as an example. Um, the the book has helped give me um, a higher authority level in my area of business here in Michigan. And, um, you know, I don't know that I'm that much more intelligent from the time that I finished the book or not, but it, but it brings, you know, barriers down or gatekeepers down because they can see when I call on them or if I'm introduced to them, they can see that I'm genuine in my beliefs and my, in my effort. I have the book that backs me up that, uh, fully explains how I how I work in my business as a financial consultant. So I find myself getting into a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't be able to get into otherwise. If I make a phone call to somebody, generally the phone call is taken or I get an email or a phone call back right away and I'm able to get in and, and start a conversation going with people. So I use the the book, you know, as, as leverage for me to help um, – build more of a presence in my my locals, you know, community of Michigan, um, if you will, and make a, you know, a real footprint here. And then as time goes on, I will continue to expand that footprint outside of Michigan. But that was a decision that I that I made early on. And, and some some authors are, you know, follow that same progress and, and others are immediately trying to get the book out uh, for sale to as many places as they can. We each have to choose our, you know, our course, which would make the most sense for us. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's no one path for everyone. Uh, one of the key early decisions, if you will, is, you know, sort of to self-publish or not to self-publish. And, you know, if you're self-publishing, you've got to decide for each aspect of the project, make or buy, right? Mm-hmm. Should I outsource right. this or should I do it myself? And I've seen it go both ways. When the authors try and do mm-hmm. stuff that's outside their domain, they end up with a bad product. On the other hand, I've seen authors right. spend way too much money and they can never recover it. So what's your guidance here? I I looked into, as probably like you say, we all do, should I have a publisher or not? Yeah, I decided to self-publish again for uh, predominantly for the time that I was going to going to be able to put forth in promoting it, I did have some very nice offers um, to take the book national uh, through more of a, um, a conventional publishing route, and I decided I decided against it. I decided to to keep it in house at least this this um, uh, this first uh, edition to keep it in house and and have more control over it. And then, like you say, that led me into, all right, how many things am I going to do on my own and how many things am I going to outsource? And for me, that was a huge learning curve. But I'll say if it wasn't for organizations such as yours, this one that we're on right now is absolutely phenomenal. I wish I knew about it when I was getting started. Um, but but through Dan Pointer's um, network and other people like him, I was able to find enough people and interview enough people 
and talked to enough people and some other authors to help me sort through that. I would say that I was I probably wasted uh, I was probably about 75% efficient. Yeah, there was a, a few things that if I could take back spending money on, I, I would take them back where I didn't get my the benefit out of it. Um, but I, I was, you know, I just had to be talking to as many people and as methodical as I could through the process. But uh, certainly organizations like, like yours are an amazing, an absolutely amazing resource for um, new authors or experienced authors. It, it, you know, these types of things are just critical for people to have exposure and access to. I so agree. It is important, and I, I like what you said that you know that doing the research is really important. Talking to other authors, listening what worked for them and what didn't work for them—that's how we learn. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that that was a very important point that you uh, mentioned. You have given us a lot of information, and uh, I know that the listening audience are you know going to have to listen to this over again because. Uh, there's just so much that you have given us, and we really appreciate it. Just one more time, if you would please give the listening audience your website address. Sure. It's www.jpstudenger.com. Great. And the name of your book as well is a choice. Mm-hmm. It certainly is, isn't it? So thank you, yeah. Anna. Really appreciate you being on this show. Well, great. I, I Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm uh, thrilled to be uh, part of it, and uh, very it's wonderful what you're both doing and, and very impressed to see. I'm, I'm sure you're touching and ho- helping a whole lot of people get their, accomplish their dreams that otherwise wouldn't be able to, so that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we sure hope so. <laughs> okay. You've been listening yep. to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. Stay tuned for the next installment when Drew Gerber presents Catapult Your Book with Media Coverage. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And... For Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, saying goodnight. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening. <laughs>